Hello, Marvelites. This is Agent M, Ryan Pelagos, Executive Editorial Director for Marvel Digital Media Group, joined by... This is Marvel.com Assistant Editor, Mark Strummy-Strom, and we have... Hey, it's Jeremy Latcham, Executive Producer of The Avengers and Senior Vice President of Production and Development here at Good Old Marvel Studios. Yeah, so we're recording this in sunny... What is this, June? June. June, yes. I'm in town for E3. You guys are going to be listening to this a little bit later, but we had an opportunity to sit with Jeremy to talk about basically his awesome career and Marvel's The Avengers, which is, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. It's pretty good. I think we had, you know, decent numbers for how we did. We're okay with it. But uh, how did you get into Marvel? Like, where did you come from to get to Marvel? Well, I've been at Marvel... It seems like now I've been here for a really long time. I got to Marvel in 2004. And when I got to Marvel, there were about seven people on the West Coast, I think. And I was an assistant to a gentleman named David Maisel. David Maisel, at the time, I believe, was the president of Marvel. And he had a really ambitious idea about film financing. The idea was that if you took a slate of films and got them financed, that it would be less risk than making one picture at a time. And since Marvel had so many great characters, we should have someone finance a whole slate of Marvel character films. And wouldn't that be cool? And we had this dream of, oh, yeah, we could make some films. That sounds neat. We could make them on our own. You know, I mean, Sony's had success making Marvel movies, and Fox's had success making Marvel movies, and New Line had success making the Blade films. So wouldn't that be interesting? And now all this is happening, and of course I'm... 23 at the time and just started at Marvel. I'm just answering David's phones and picking up lunch and just happy to be here. And that sounds cool. I have no idea that my destiny is going to be, you know, wrapped up with actually getting to make these films. And one of the first tasks was really going through and figuring out what characters Marvel had the rights to make movies out of. And we started putting all the lists together. And as you start looking at the lineup, it starts to resemble something like the Avengers and well, that's kind of neat, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's try to make a movie. And Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios and producer of all of the films here, was kind enough to look at this 23-year-old kid that was picking up lunch for David Maisel every day and say, oh, you want to work in movies? You went to film school? Well, come over. Let's have fun. Somehow that turned into me being the story editor at uh, Marvel Studios And my job as story editor entailed making packets of comic books and reading lots of comic books, which sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, not bad. You can't complain, right? You're 23 and they're paying you to read comic books. That sounds fun. And eventually looking for writers for Iron Man 1 and then eventually getting to meet directors for Iron Man 1. And this whole time I'm kind of pinching myself saying, I get to be involved in all of this? Yeah. And Kevin being awesome enough to say... Well, that's how I learned. They put me on a movie and I figured it out. So you're on Iron Man. You're the associate producer. You seem like you know what you're doing. Let's see what happens. And the rest is kind of a really, really fun history. So I was the associate producer on the first Iron Man film. And we made the film in Playa Vista here in Los Angeles. And it turned out to be really, really awesome. And it was a really fun process. And I felt like I was really contributing and like really a part of it. And was there every day on the set. And there with John Favreau, the director, and involved in the casting, and there for Robert Downey's first screen test, and like really helping to shape the movie. And Before you go on, what was that first screen test like? It was at, amazing. At this point in his career, he's not where we know he is now, right? Of like, course. No, when we first, I mean, to put it in context, I don't think Robert Downey will ever screen test for anything ever again <laughs> for the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, that was the last audition that Robert Downey Jr. will ever have to go to. He's right. 
Robert Downey Jr. He's a giant movie star. And we were lucky enough that he was willing to screen test for this. I think there were questions, you know, it's our first movie, we have all this money, mm-hmm. how are we going to cast the film? And I think when Robert's name came up, I think people, you know, were surprised by that. So, you know, Robert agreed to come in for a screen test. And I remember the day perfectly. I remember him driving, arriving, his assistant, Jimmy Rich, who still works with him very closely today, was with him. Everything kind of changed. I mean, his first take, he did the scene from Iron Man 1. He did a couple scenes. One of them was the scene with the uh, reporter, played by Leslie Bibb in the film, Miss Everhart, I believe her name was, outside of Caesar's Palace Casino. They did that scene as part of the read. And obviously, Christine Everhart hadn't been cast yet. So a woman's reading opposite Robert. And the intensity and the way that he just delivered the lines was just stunning. And he did the first take, and the entire crew burst into applause. And it was like, all right, well, I guess that's Tony Stark. That's pretty crazy. Like, they literally burst into applause. It just felt electric. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty magical moment, seeing him do that for the first time. And he was so, so gracious and cool. And, and he was just excited to be there. He was so excited to be in a movie like this and he kind of felt like destiny kind of reached out you know and that this character was perfect for him and he's so right i mean it was and favreau was so passionate about having robert i think it really shows i mean the two of them had this magical collaboration on the first film and it was just so much fun we just really it was a blast to make that film yeah i remember at the comic-con the year we broke where everything where we had we showed the mark one and we had that big, you know, to-do at the stage at Comic-Con. I was filming it for some reason. This was early on in my career at Marvel. And I was like, this is going to be incredible. Just watching the two of them talk to the crowd and, yeah. and everybody. It was just, you could tell. That moment. I mean, that whole Comic-Con. Because we'd, we'd gone to Comic-Con the year before. We went with John Favreau, Louis Leterrier, and Edgar Wright. And we did a panel, uh, not in Hall H. We did a panel, not even in room twenty. <laughs> it was what are the other rooms called? Like the the smaller ballrooms? Yeah, yeah. like the ABCDs. Yes, one of those. It was yeah. like four A, B, and C or something. It was like not even all of them. You know, yeah. it was like this this really small room upstairs. And I remember we were on our way down. We had this whole Comic Con plan, and Adi Granoff had done a beautiful illustration of the Iron Man armor, and it said like assembling in theaters May two thousand eight or something. And we were going to go down, and we had John Favreau, who was doing Iron Man 1, we had Louis Leterrier, who was doing Incredible Hulk, and Edgar Wright, who was going to do uh, Ant-Man right away. Obviously, the Ant-Man movie has not <laughs> happened yet. We're still talking to Edgar, and we're going to make that movie soon, I, I hope. But we went down to Comic-Con, and I remember downloading music on my... I don't know if it was even... It wasn't an iPhone. I guess it was on, like, a jump drive. Yeah. Like, from the iTunes store, we downloaded the Iron Man song. We downloaded the Lonely Man theme from the Incredible Hulk TV series. And we downloaded Flight of the Bumblebee. Because we couldn't figure out what... We couldn't figure out what to play for Edgar Wright. And so we just had it on Flight of the Bumblebee for some reason. And it was so early at that Comic-Con that I was actually over at the sound booth, like, Ah, okay. And go! Play the song! And we had like this, it was off a jump drive, and the, the guy at the Comic-Con's like looking at me like I'm nuts. But people were so excited, and that room was packed. And we had posters for Iron Man and for Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. We had a poster that Adi Granoff had done for Iron Man, and then there was a piece of artwork that Louis commissioned for Hulk that he kind of got him the job. It was this beautiful, really romantic and like moody piece with Hulk and a bridge, and it was really cool. It was like a watercolor. It was like a, we turned it into a poster, I guess. I feel like I was there. And we showed this stuff, and Stephen Broussard, who is now 
executive producing Iron Man 3, actually ran up on stage and flipped the posters around, and like, <laughs> one of the easels fell over, oh. and Steve had to pick it back up, and I mean, it was like, it was so early, yeah. you know, and and I remember on the way down there, we stopped at one of those, like, Oceanside or something, one of the cities on the 405 between L.A. and San Diego. And we were so excited about Comic-Con, and we were, like, going down there to do our big thing. And we pick up the L.A. Times, and it was, like, Marvel rolls out B-list characters, or something like that. There was, like, this headline about Comic-Con that day, and we were like, oh, man. We're going to, we're, hopefully we're going to show them. We're going to show them all, you know? <laughs> and that Comic-Con, and then the next year... We came back and we were like ready, and we totally revamped how we did Comic Con. We had the armor, and we had legacy effects. Shane Mahan at Legacy Effects built a big crate for it, and we had planned a whole unveiling of the crate. And we were like ready to take everything we'd learned and say, "We have a movie now," and check this out. And that Comic Con was just magic. I mean, it was really where people were like for the first time realizing, "Oh my God, this Marvel Marvel universe is going to come to life on screen." There's going to be such a thing as a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. This is the beginning of something cool. And at, actually, at that, at that first Comic-Con in the small room, someone, there's actually footage of it. We were just watching it the other day, reminiscing. There's actually footage of someone in the crowd saying, is there ever going to be an Avengers movie? And Kevin, up on the panel, he's up there in his ball cap, you know, and he's looking very, very young, and you know, we're all so eager. And Kevin says something to the effect of, if you look at the characters that I just named, that we have the rights to, you'll start to see that the idea of an Avengers movie is possible. You know, it was just an idea. Yeah. And the room went nuts. Yeah. And it was like, oh man, can we make this happen? Yeah. You know, it was pretty cool. When was the first time that you guys started using the term Marvel Cinematic Universe? Probably sometime during Iron Man 2. Probably right after Iron Man 2 going into Thor and Cap. Mm-hmm. We started realizing... That's my guess, because we had some comics come out after Iron Man 1, I think, that kind of delved into mm-hmm. it. And we started like noticing that it was a separate continuity. And then, so kind of coming up with the phrasing of what to call it. Like, we knew it was like the movie continuity. We, we, I think we'd call it like the movie continuity for a little while. Because okay. we knew that it was a different universe. It wasn't like straight up like 616, you know? It was yeah. like kind of a different place. had kind of different rules and kind of had some stuff from Ultimates and some stuff from the classic comics yeah. and kind of amalgamation. It was like a real cherry-picking kind of... Which is philosophy of like how do we take the best of what's worked in any medium be it a video game or a comic book or whatever the Hulk TV show whatever it is like how do we take the best elements from a story standpoint and character standpoint and bring those into the movie it's a nice place to be in yeah and I remember you know in Iron Man and in Incredible Hulk you had those two end scenes that obviously tied them to each other but was there a point when you were making those movies, where you fully realized that, yes, you're going to tie these together and establish that Incredible Hulk and Iron Man exist in the same universe? I don't remember when the exact point was. I mean, I remember the idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be a thing was one of the first indicators that we were going to do something with it. And Clark Gregg, you know, John wanted Clark to do the movie, and we didn't even read him. He didn't audition. John was just like, I feel like Clark's the guy for this. Hmm. Clark, and it was like one other actor that John was friendly with, and he was like, I think it's Clark. I think Clark's the guy. So Clark's part in the original Iron Man 1 script was really small. And it was like, oh, what if we keep making this part bigger? And and that kind of became the first precursor to the idea of, there's more to it than just this. There's a Marvel Cinematic Universe that this is all kind of happening. Like, Shield's a presence. Yeah. And I remember scouting, there's an establishing shot of, uh, I think, is, is it in the movie? I think there's an establishing shot of S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters in the first Iron Man film. There's like a high wide of the federal building on Wilshire. The U.S. federal building on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. That became the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. 
You see the establishing of it before Pepper and then and, and get okay. into the little cars in the basement. Wow. And I remember we were out looking for, I went out looking to scout for a place to have that establishing shot because we knew we needed to cut away to something to kind of set where they were. And it was like, oh man, so we got to find a place like, this is going to be a shield office. Like this is a actual office that's going to, this could pop up in yeah. future movies. So we got to make sure it's a cool place. And that was kind of a realization. You know, you start slowly realizing all these little things could be, oh, well, what's the shield logo going to look like? Oh, that, well, because we got to make sure it looks cool because it's going to pop up in future movies. Yeah. And I think everyone else is looking at us, like Favreau and everyone else is looking at us a little bit like, what future movie are you guys talking about? Like, we're making one movie. Like, I mean, hopefully we get to make a sequel, but what is this thing you guys keep talking about? Like, you know, but we're like, oh, well, this is the shield logo needs to be right. We've got to make sure the shield headquarters looks cool. And, you know, uh, what, what do the shield ID badges look like? Because those could pop up. You know, and it's all started kind of making yeah. sense. And then when we got Sam to do it, that was like the big, the big coup. What was that like? Like, what was his reaction to to being brought into this? He was excited. I mean, like he, he's a fan. I mean, he's, he's a huge fan, and he has a story that he tells that I've heard him tell before, where he's like, "Yeah, one day I pick up the comic books, and Nick Fury is an old white guy, and one day I pick up the comic books, and Nick Fury's me." And I thought, I just got to wait for him to make the movie. I just got to wait for him to make the movie because I am clearly Nick Fury now. And that's like a really like that was kind of his attitude. He was like. I was waiting for this call. <laughs> I was expecting this. That's awesome. You know? But he's awesome, man. And I remember the day that we did it, we didn't want anyone to know. It was, like, such a secret. And the place was on lockdown. And and we didn't want anyone to know that we were shooting this thing with Sam. And we actually had a car pick him up at his trailer. A car actually drove onto the soundstage. The doors closed. It was all... Everything was blacked out. You know, we did not want anyone to see him. And it was still on the internet the next day. Like, there was... It was just so exciting yeah. that it was happening that people just couldn't keep their mouth shut that's great those people have been dealt with good <laughs> <laughs> alright so from Iron Man 1 into the rest of the films what was your involvement going past Iron Man 1 well you know I think one of the things that we've done a lot uh, that's been really cool is we've kind of had these like creative retreats and that's where like the you know the creative team you know the first couple of retreats I think it was just Kevin and Stephen and Stephen Broussard and Craig Kyle and myself went out to Palm Springs and we rented a house and we sat around and talked about comic books and movies and what we wanted the movies to be. And we watched old movies. I think like one year, as reference for Avengers, this was our movie that we watched. We watched Revenge of the Nerds. That was our <laughs> Avengers reference. Because we were like, there's something about those guys all getting along and teaming up and whatever. That it, makes me so happy. You know, it yeah. was like... Well, which movie do we want to watch? This reference for this. And we watched. I think we watched Ghostbusters: Revenge of the Nerds, and it was fun. You know, yeah. something about it was really cool. But so we would go out and like plan kind of the broad strokes. But the whole key is we have to have enough of a plan to make it cohesive, but we have to have enough flexibility to allow the filmmakers to really make the movie. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're not directors. We're not making the movies. We're producing the films, and we got to have enough flexibility and enough enough open still that a filmmaker can come in and make whatever movie he wants to make and make the right movie and make the right choice and make the hard decision. Because our big fear the whole time was if people get so caught up in the minutia and they lose track of the story, then it's just a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. you know. And we really didn't want that to happen. So we spent a lot of time with everybody you know, talking about the broad strokes yeah. but making sure it was flexible and open-ended. Because... Uh, you know, that's what it's about. So I started immediately working on Iron Man 2. But it, not immediately, actually, because there was a moment when I was going to work on Captain America and was involved in some of the early discussions about the script and 
because Stephen was up in Canada working on The Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I remember a phone call, like a pivotal moment on Captain America, like Stephen was on the phone from Canada, and Kevin and I were at Kevin's house in his living room, and we're on the phone with Stephen, like talking about the Captain America script and like making some like real tough decisions about the Captain America script because they're something you know we we had an early draft that just wasn't quite working right. and we you know we we knew we had some hard decisions to make and we said we should make the whole thing period we should make the whole movie period and it was like one phone call where that was kind of our feeling you know and then we had to obviously go talk to everybody else in the company <laughs> and make sure the people were cool with that but yeah. like that was the like Kevin Steve and I on a phone call at Kevin's apartment on a Saturday morning like that was the feeling it was like we should make this period we should make it all period and he should wake up in modern day, and that should be the tie to Avengers. And wouldn't that be freaking cool? And you know, and that's part of the fun here is like being a small enough place that we can really make those hard decisions and really like make the right choice for the film. And that's really cool. Yeah. And so we go from then you're working on Iron Man two. Yeah. How do you get to Avengers? Because everything sort of you guys obviously were starting to really think about this hardcore at this point, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, at that point, we were, after the Iron Man 1 tag, we had a lot of conversation about what the Hulk tag should be, and we didn't have everything figured out yet, and mm-hmm. we weren't quite sure how all the pieces were going to line up, but we knew we wanted to do something in Hulk, and we thought this made sense at the time, and so we put that tag together, it ended up being in the body of the film, it was originally conceived as a tag, it ended up being in the body of the film, and then we were, like, really thinking about the strategy, of, like, how do we tie all the films together, and how do we make the Avengers the culmination of all this? So we really have to all stay in touch. And Craig Kyle's off making Thor. And Steven's now off making Cap. And I'm making Iron Man 2. And like, how do we all stay in communication and make sure that we're making something that's open-ended enough? But the big coup on, on Avengers, honestly, was Joss. I mean, everything changed in a good way with Joss. He just had the ability to look at all this stuff and watch an early cut of Iron Man 2 and watch an early cut of Thor and watch an early cut of Captain America and have a real sense of, this is what you guys have done, this is what's established, here's my take on how you bring it all together. And that was 100% what was needed, because he's so good at understanding story and understanding what people are going to care about from those movies, before those movies are out. I mean, we were shooting Avengers before Thor or Captain America was out. Avengers, I think Thor came out on, like, day five of Avengers production. And this whole time we're going... What if people hate Thor? We don't hate Thor. We've seen the movie. It's awesome. You never know. Yeah. You know, there could be an earthquake that day and no one goes to the movies and everyone forgets about it. You never know what's going to happen yeah. with a release. Like, you can have all the pre-box office weekend tracking numbers and all the market research that you want, but you do not know what people are going to think until they walk out of the theater and say, that was awesome, or I hated it. You don't know, you know? Right. But Joss was able, I think, really smartly to look at all those films, to look at Cap and Thor in their early stages, and say, this is what I think is going to be important. This is what is needing to be translated to Avengers. And so that happened, and that kind of was a big, big, big game changer. Because we knew what we wanted the Avengers movie to be, and when we sat down and talked to Joss about it, I think the main things we told him were, we think Loki's the villain. We know Loki's the villain. We want Loki to be the villain. And we want a big New York battle. And we want to involve aliens from another dimension or planet or world or through a portal mm-hmm. like we like the idea of like something opening over new york and that was kind of the real story elements that we had in place that we were excited about and joss was able to kind of dive in and turn it all into something 
and it wasn't like it was easy. He didn't like write the first draft and go, right. sweet, I did it. You know, I mean, <laughs> to hear Joss talk about writing the script, it was definitely a process, you know, and it was hard. And there were a couple misfires in terms of villain and in terms of the villain agenda and in terms of this or that. And who would help Loki? You know, the realization that Hawkeye was going to be alongside Loki and that Hawkeye and Selva were going to become bad guys for half the movie. Mm-hmm. That was late in the process. That was not the first idea. But it turned out to be the absolute right idea. It gave Hawkeye something really cool and made his journey really rich because he hadn't had his own movie. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know him that well. And it gave Natasha this like real personal stake in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that Joss handled all that, you know, when, when uh, they say Barton's been compromised and she hands that phone back and says, or says I'm going to need a minute or whatever and hands the phone back, it's on. Yeah. Like she is in and you know there's something between these two. And I think that that's Joss's genius is being able to like take something like, oh, something that feels stock, like, oh yeah, this good guy's going to be taking over brainwash work for the bad guy for half the movie and make it personal and make you really care about it is really cool. And I think that was a big coup in that process. But yeah, I mean, the, the Avengers, we've been planning, we've been prepping, we've been trying to leave things open-ended, we've been trying to make sure there were enough threads that the next person could hold on to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the other weird parts in terms of planning it all is um, the tags on Thor and Cap and, and the tag on Iron Man 2. Because John was like, well, there's going to be something on the end of the movie and Ken Brown is directing it? Okay, cool. How's that going to work? And, you know, we brought in the footage, and he was like, awesome. Well, this looks pretty cool. People are going to go crazy for this. And everyone was excited about it. But it was like these crazy notions. I mean, that's a weird idea, that Ken Brown would direct something. We'd put it on the end of a movie directed by John Favreau. And then we got to Thor, and Joss directed it. And Joss directed the taxi. We actually, it was our 3D camera test day. Mm-hmm. So we actually shot that scene in full 3D, which was the only scene of Avengers that was shot in 3D. Mm-hmm. Everything else was converted. And we had such a hard time with the cameras, and it was like an hour and a half to change a lens, and we realized, oh, this is really going to slow down our flexibility. But just that notion that, like, Joss is directing something that's going to go on the Thor movie, and the plan all being kind of in place, and, you know, and even in Thor, the Clint Barton dialogue, I think, and I, I don't know if people know this, but I think that dialogue was all written by Joss. Mm, no idea. Yeah, because we knew Barton was going to play the biggest role in Avengers, and that he was just in Thor for one scene, and so Joss actually wrote the pages, or I, mean, I think the pages existed from the Thor set, and we looked at them and felt like they didn't quite sound enough like we wanted them to sound in the in the Avengers film. So we asked Joss, like, hey, will you take a look at this? And he was like, oh yeah, and he wrote, you know, what, what's he say that's funny? What's that line? Uh, you're gonna, oh, you want me to... Take this guy down, I'm yeah. starting to pull for him. I'm starting to pull for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want me to take this guy down because I'm starting to pull for him. All that stuff. It's yeah. just Joss, you know? Yeah. And that was really cool of him. And then the cap tag at the end of Captain America, they actually shot that the day before we started filming the Avengers. And our first day of production on the Avengers had Sam Jackson and Steve Rogers in it. And Chris Evans in it. So they actually flew in that night and showed up on set exhausted. Joss was like, thanks, guys. <laughs> Way to give me a good first day here. I was shooting a really important scene. It was the boxing scene between the two of them. Okay. Super important scene. Yeah. Kind of sets up a lot of the movie, introduces Cap back to the world. Really emotional, real stakes scene. And they'd flown in like the night before and were exhausted. <laughs> and like so tired from flying in. And, and they're like, now what movie are we making? <laughs> and it was, it was hard, man. And it was like a lot of management of... Yeah all these moving pieces. At what point did you have that feeling about Avengers? That, like, that, where it all clicks? Was it when Joss was involved early on? Was it a filming day? Because at one point, like, you just know. Yeah. Is, is that good? 
I think we knew... I really got excited about Avengers over and over again the whole time we were making it. And, like, the first couple drafts, even though, you know, they weren't quite right, the characters all sounded like the characters in a really great way, and that Joss banter was there. And it was really exciting. So I started getting excited then. And I started getting excited when we started getting designs in from the Viz Dev guys, from Ryan and Charlie and their group, and from James Chillin, our production designer, and his group. And I started getting excited. And then I started getting excited while we were shooting it. And I, I remember telling my wife at one point, I was like, I think we're making something so awesome and special that if people don't feel like that, I feel like I should look for a new job. <laughs> because I'm really invested and like really think this is cool. And if I'm wrong, I'm like, maybe I should... Think about doing something else because, like, this is to me, this is what movies are about. Like, this is why you go to the cinema. This is the kind of movie I want to go see. I think this is everything I've ever wanted to do. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. I hope, I hope I'm not the only one that feels like that. It's like starts to be like a weird feeling because because sure. yeah. you never want to be you you could never because you can never tell how people are going to react. You can never be cocky about it or, or too confident in it. You know, because you're always looking at, you're always scrutinizing it, and you're always working on it. But even the first cut that Joss did, you know, the first, the very first director's cut, you know, and he was gracious enough to let us see it a couple weeks early because he was like, I'm, you know, I want you guys to see it. I want you guys involved in the process. And even seeing the very early cut, it was like, oh man, this is all there. Like, it's all there. I think we had four days of additional photography on Avengers, which is like very, very little Mm -hmm. on a movie this big. I mean, you just forget to shoot four days worth of inserts on, on a movie this size. You know, there's so much going on. So it was like, to kind of see it be that well put together at that early of a stage is just it was really exciting three last questions quick ones what is your favorite scene in the film okay my favorite scene in the film i don't know man i have so many favorites it might be natasha and loki there's something about that scene that is really really great but then there's so many other lines that i love i don't know i mean i think it probably if i had to if you held me down and made me choose a scene i think it'd be natasha and loki cool because that's a scene that just shouldn't be in the middle of a big movie like this. It's like two people talking it out. But you know what other scene I love? Uh, actually, I love that scene, and I love Bruce Banner and Tony Stark talking. And the two of them in the lab by themselves after Cap's left, and, and Tony says, so that's the guy my dad would never shut up about. They should have left him on the ice. <laughs> and you just get Tony, and then Bruce, and Tony is goading him and kind of setting up this whole notion of how Hulk is going to work. And he says, you know, I think you just might enjoy it or whatever. And you're like... I want to see this thing happen. And then he doesn't enjoy it. Like, the, the whole helicarrier attack is so terrible for Banner. He doesn't want to become the Hulk, and Loki has manipulated him, and this all it's all going terrible. And you think Tony might be wrong. And then he shows back up at the end, and it's awesome. Yeah. But I think that moment is pretty great. That scene between the two of them is, is just really nice. Cool. Whose idea was it for Thanos? Mm. Thanos, or however. Uh, for Thanos. I think that was all Joss. He's a huge Thanos fan. He loves Jim Starlin. He really, really likes Starlin and wanted Thanos to kind of appear at the end and we didn't see any reason why he couldn't. It totally made sense. And it was cool that the other, the guy the, that Loki's been dealing with is has a boss. It's kind of fun to see those layers kind of peeled back. So we, we were all for it. And then finally the shawarma scene. Because that was filmed pretty late, right? Yeah, the shawarma scene is I think a perfect example of why it's so much fun to make movies at Marvel. Because we never want to stop until the movie is as good as it can possibly be, no matter what. We want to put everything into it. And so we'd been in the editing room for a long time, and we decided that the Thanos tag with the other was going to be after the main on ends. Because it didn't make sense to hold it all the way to the end. Because it wasn't enough of a crazy reveal that it was going to 
I don't know, we just felt like it should belong after the man on end credits. So after the big graphical title sequence, we wanted that and then go into the crawl. And we'd been kind of bummed that there was going to be something after the crawl because there had been on all the other films yeah. and people kind of had gotten used to it. And we'd been kind of justifying it by saying, well, there's a tag, we just moved it up. You know? But we still knew there were going to be guys that sat in the theater all the way through. <laughs> and we don't want to disappoint anybody, ever. And But we weren't making a big deal out of it. We weren't pushing for anything else. We didn't even think anything else was feasible. But we kind of had this feeling like, oh, it'd be cooler if there was something else. And then we're in the editing room one day and Joss goes, hey, that'd be great. If these, if they were all just eating shawarma after, and you know Tony says shawarma after, and if they were all just eating shawarma after, and they just no one said a word, they're just exhausted, and you're just like, these guys saved the world, they deserve a meal. <laughs> like, who are we to let these guys not just sit down and have a meal together? They're exhausted. They've done such good work. Like they, they've saved the whole planet. This whole ordeal has been exhausting. And like, wouldn't it be just funny? And you know, and he said it in a much more Joss kind of way. And I think Kevin and I were in the room, and we were like. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's awesome. So we uh, we sent Jonathan Schwartz, who uh, was the creative executive on the film and who works with me here on all the movies, and we sent Jonathan out with a camera, and we had this notion that the whole cast was going to be together for the premiere. That's the next time all those actors are going to be in the same room. If you know much about making movies, you know that scheduling is the hardest part of making movies because all the actors have commitments. And all their commitments run for three days here and four days here and a week there and a month there and run a show here and you never know. And you're in second sure. position or first position. It's a nightmare. It's always a nightmare making a movie with cast. The, the, the schedules are just so hard. So we knew there was no way to get them together like that day. You know, We hadn't even shot our additional photography yet, but we kind of knew we can't have them all back. It's not going to work. It's not feasible. They're spread all over the planet. But we know they're all going to be back for the premiere. So we inquired with Victoria Alonso, who heads all of our visual effects and post-production. And we said, Victoria, what do you think? Could we shoot a scene the day after the premiere and get it onto domestic prints? And Victoria said, well, I mean, that's crazy, but let's talk about it. And then we talked to Louis, and we said, Louis Esposito, who's co-president of Marvel with Kevin. And Louis Esposito is like the mad genius who makes everything feasible and possible, and he's incredible. And we said, Lou, do we have any money left? And he said, well, not really but what do you guys want to do and so everyone was kind of really intrigued by this notion as we pitched it to people everyone was like oh well that well we gotta find a way to make that happen <laughs> everybody across the studio was just excited you know and so bruce marco who kind of runs day-to-day on post talked to everyone at disney and we had to get you know uh flory involved everyone at the company had to be, get involved to figure out if we could if it was feasible if we were to shoot this could it be in theaters yeah. so we finally got an answer that yes it could be in theaters awesome so now how do we do it? So everyone was going to be together at the Four Seasons Hotel, which is where the press junket was, the day after the premiere. So I gave Jonathan a map, and I said, here's where the Four Seasons is. Let's look at a mile and a half to two miles away from the Four Seasons and find every Middle Eastern restaurant we can find. There's got to be a place with a shawarma spinning meat thing right there. There's got to be one. We've got to go find it. So Jonathan went out with his camera. Not as a location scout, because I think they probably violate some sort of union rule. He just went and took some photos of five shawarma restaurants and I walked in and showed him to Joss the next day and Joss was like I was joking I, mean, I was joking like are you, are you crazy how is this feasible and Kevin was like well we already talked to distribution we already talked to this person the actors are all going to be together and Joss goes you guys are like crazy independent maverick filmmakers like this is like a mariachi or like what is wrong with you guys like this is crazy and we're like you don't know what's going to happen he goes if you guys can make it happen I will direct it I'd 100% for it. This sounds impossible to me. But I love it. I love that you guys want to make it happen because I think it would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. So we're all really excited about it. So we call all the actors. 
and said, we're going to put you in hair and makeup and put you back in your wig. <laughs> Chris Evans had a gigantic beard at this point for another movie, uh-huh. and he could not cut it. And so he said, we need you to come in a day early. We're going to make a life cast of your face. And Chris Evans actually has a gigantic prosthetic chin on because he had a beard he couldn't cut, and he had short hair. It was cropped. It was dyed. He had a wig on, a beard on. These guys had to go through hours of hair and makeup all for this thing <laughs> that was going to have no dialogue, and it was going to be after the credits, and it seemed like the silliest thing ever. And everyone was like, all right, well, we trust you guys. You know, if you guys say it's going to be cool, just make sure it's cool. And then we shot it, and it was just awesome. It's totally worth it. It was totally worth it. Yeah. It was totally worth it. But we were actually editing it. This is how last minute it was. We were actually editing it on the back. We had to edit it that night. So we shot it. They downloaded it. They transcoded it into whatever movie codec format, something, 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 has to happen for the Avid to work. And our editor, Jeff Ford, who's a mad genius, had his laptop with him, had Avid on it. Assistant editor loads it into the drive. Kieran, I think, was the assistant editor who was there that night. Loaded it up onto Jeff's machine, and we edited it on the back of the camera truck. (laughs) And it was Joss and Kevin and myself and Jeff. And we were across the street from a gigantic billboard that said Avengers, May 4th. And we're, we're looking at our watches going, we've really got to edit this scene, like, right away. It was crazy. And Jeff, we found the out point first, which was him taking that big bite. Because yeah. we thought it was just so funny, just this humongous bite. like Arr! And then we kind of back 30 seconds and said, what happens at the start of this? And everyone did something interesting in that 30 seconds. And we said, that feels like the take. And I think we shot three takes. It was maybe is the shortest production day ever. Production started, I think, at 8.07, 8.17 production wrapped on the day. <laughs> it's like three takes of them all sitting there eating shawarma. Luckily, the food was really, really good. Elot Burger, Pico, and Beverwill in Los Angeles. The food was fantastic. And everyone enjoyed eating the food. So they didn't mind shooting it three times. And it was great. It was awesome. And Joss was so happy. Like He was like, this is it. And we didn't get to see it. So fast forward a couple weeks, we'd never seen it on a big screen. Yeah. Last time we'd seen it was on Jeff Ford's laptop because we all had to scatter around the world for the press tours and uh, other publicity functions to promote the movie. So we hadn't seen it again. So we went to see the midnight show on Thursday night at Man Bruin in Westwood. Joss and Kevin and myself and uh, Joss's agent Chris Harbert was there and I think... Jonathan Schwartz was there, and uh, Drew Goddard was there, and Jed Whedon and Marissa Tantrone, Joss's brother, was there, and my wife was there. It was like this like little, like we just went to the movies, you know? <laughs> were you all recognized? We were trying not to be. Yeah, yeah. And we weren't recognized until after the movie. Like, um, we all, like, they had, they, they, they saved off, because it's not reserved seating there, so they saved off a little row for us. And no one really thought about it. It was just a rowdy group of college kids. And so we all watched the movie, and no one knows it's us, and we're just hearing the crowd and really enjoying it. And then someone recognizes Joss during the credits. And people go crazy and start screaming, and it's like this crazy pandemonium. And then Joss is like, guys, shh, 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 shh. Everyone be quiet. Be quiet. There's another scene. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and people look at people's faces. They're trying to figure out what he means when he says he hasn't seen this scene yeah. that's in his movie yet. But we just hadn't ever seen it projected. And it came up, and it was the exact reaction we wanted, which was initial laugh, a pause, shh. I want to hear what they say. They're not talking. That's awkward. That's awkward. That's funny. And then it's over. <laughs> so that was kind of the trajectory of the mood that we'd wanted was like, funny, awkward, be quiet, I want to hear them, they're not talking, that's really awkward, hilarious. And then, and it totally worked. And Josh just like, he was smiling so big at that moment. It was amazing. It was really cool seeing it with the first time with like a real paying audience. Yeah. And it didn't leak this time because 
it wasn't available. Yeah, it wasn't available in anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. It, it was only existed in a lab. That's so fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun, man. It's really fun. It's this is maybe the most fun place to work in the world. It's pretty great. It's yeah. pretty fun. Which is cool. Doing this was great because people are always like, you have a great job. And I'm like, yeah, it's fun. But getting to talk to you who's working on all the, this stuff shows that on so many levels, Marvel has such great stuff. And, and we're doing, we're just, we're blessed by what we're able to do. It's yeah, great. you know, there's this legacy of the characters that all the guys you know, that have worked in comics have created. And to have such an amazing batch of characters that we get to play with and bring to life and that are so beloved and we're like get to be the stewards of these characters for this generation and we're the ones that get to translate them for the next audience is just yeah. it's the real honor it's pretty you know great. it's pretty great do you mind mention your twitter i don't know how uh public you are with it you know i'm on twitter i think i don't even know what my handle is i think it's jay latcham uh, but so. it might be latcham jay I think it's Jay Latcham, though. I think it's at Jay Latcham. Because I've tweeted, pushed you out once or twice, and I know I think Clark did. Yeah, Clark Sam, did a couple Sam, times. Sam I'm on Twitter very seldomly. I yeah. mostly am like a voyeur on Twitter, where I like to follow and see what people are saying. Yeah. But every once in a while I'll see something like the Avengers, and I have to share it with the world, because it's cats that are the Avengers. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> who doesn't want to see that? Yeah. Whoever that artist was who came up with that was very, very smart. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. Alright guys, thanks for listening, and get Marvel's The Avengers on DVD, Blu-ray, digital download, every possible way you can. Alright, see you guys. This is Marvel, your universe.